Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Presented by Hunting Exchange, a marketplace for serious hunters by serious hunters. 
All right, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Listener Success Story. Uh, this week's episode, uh, very excited to bring back a past listener uh, success story from last year. Another listener who had success uh, this season, uh, Luke Askew. Luke, how you doing, brother? Pretty good. How about you? I'm doing well. Not as well as you, though. You know, I've got a devil on the ground, but man, at least by the time we're recording this, but uh, dude, you got a nice buck on the ground from Georgia. Uh, it's kind of cool to have you on. This is the second year in a row uh, you came on as a listener success story, uh, which is really awesome. So I'm excited to talk to you about that. Last year, you knocked down a, a pretty good buck. And remind me, did you knock down just one buck or did you get two bucks last year? No, just one buck. I only went hunting like eight times last year, and luckily I was able to kill a giant one on the eighth hunt that I went. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. Hey, listen, that's a pretty good ratio when you're busy with work and family and everything else. Gotta oh, ca- oh, yeah. Got to capitalize when you can. But, uh, you know, I absolutely love these listener success stories because it kind of highlights, uh, you know, guys like yourself who take, you know, something small away from specific episodes to go out there and implement it yourselves and, and make it your own and have success while doing so. Um, so appreciate all the listeners listening to this and kind of getting your feedback, Luke, from, you know, what's helped you be successful and some of the things that you picked apart. But, uh, of course, you're coming from Georgia, uh, Luke, to give the listeners a little bit more of an idea, what region of Georgia, uh, you know, do you live and kind of hunt in uh, with your background? Uh, it's just middle, middle Georgia, I guess. I mean, it's not south or north Georgia. It's just right off Highway 20. I mean, it goes straight through it, about halfway in between Atlanta and Augusta is where I hunt at. So it's just straight up middle Georgia. It's the middle state of Georgia. There's no mountainous. It's not mountainous and it's not farm country is kind of in between perfect well uh the kind of kick us off then luke let's talk a little bit about this so you're on last uh, you were on last year's uh listener success story killed an absolute giant buck out there um implementing some tips and tactics from, that you heard from the show and some of the previous episodes i want to talk about this buck that you killed which is another really really good deer and of course you know if you're listening to this right now everybody you can go on uh, facebook and instagram by the time you're Hopefully, listening to the podcast, uh, we have uh, made the social media post for this episode, along with a photo of the deer. But um, that being said, uh, Luke, let's talk a little bit about this about this buck and this hunt here. Uh, I want to talk about first what have been some of those episodes that have been impactful for you. Um, you know, maybe some of the different episode numbers and some of the different guests that you've heard, um, especially maybe over this year, but also years past that were kind of impactful, especially for this specific hunt. Uh, it's probably the first one would be Glenn Solomon. I mean, he was a big hunter in Georgia. And uh, the main episode I listened to with you guys, I think it was episode 116. And he just talked about going out in the woods and putting boots on the ground and finding sign and looking for core areas and bedding and whatnot. And <clears throat> that's when I kind of started doing this summer is looking for bedding areas and trying to locate core areas that these bucks might be in in Georgia. And uh, he was one of the main ones, and I listen to a lot of Josh Josh Drivers as well. He's got some good stuff out there. He, I mean, I think he hunts in the mountains more, but some of his stuff's still pretty good as far as trying to locate Buck's core areas. And that's basically what I did most of the summer, just looking for an older sign from last year, those like trees that have been rubbed year after year after year, like pointing to theirs that might be a core area, like over and over and over again, right? Uh, that was two of the main guys, it's Glenn and Josh, and then uh, I do listen to, I like Tim Knight's episodes as well. Uh, I usually try to call and rattle when I'm in the tree as well. That's how I got that buck in last year. I, I think that's how he came in. I'm not positive on that, but, I mean, that's the first buck I've ever rattled in. So it, it seemed like he came into the horns, but, I mean, that's 
the main three guys that I've been listening to right there, I mean, I listen to all the episodes, but those are kind of the ones that I've started uh, implementing in my hunting tactics. <clears throat> yeah, and that's kind of funny. You got two Georgia boys there and an old boy from Kentucky, uh, and all you know, yeah. big deer killers. Um, you know, so Glenn Solomon episode one sixteen. Uh, then you've got um, Josh Driver episode one forty one. His first main episode talking about diversity, and of course Tim Knight. Which I have to look up Tim Knight's episode in just a little bit. Uh, but yeah, all those guys have been very impactful. And the funny thing is, I'll say this: after doing quite a few listener success story episodes and talking to listeners who've had success from the podcast. Those are three very well, especially Glenn Solomon and uh, Josh Driver are two ex- specifically um, very specific episodes that I hear a lot of people you know recommend and talk about. Like, hey, those are very impactful for me. And that's always and you. Probably, you might be the same way. Anytime I have someone new listen to the show, I always tell them you know start out with one sixteen and one forty one uh, with both Glenn Solomon and Josh Driver because. You know, just looking at the the statistics of all the listener success stories, uh, those have been by far two of the most impactful episodes for at least a lot of our southern listeners. Yeah, they they're very impactful in my hunting. Anyways, they made me they turned my hunting around. I mean, it made me look at it hunting completely different way than I used to. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about the strategy for this summer. So, one thing that kind of clicked with you, especially in the off season, was talking about again trying to locate some of these bucks' core areas. And I know the property that you have, the lease that you have, you know, isn't just a huge property. It's not like we're talking about thousands of acres here. Uh, so, you know, you're kind of limited with what you're working with. But again, you know, one thing you mentioned early on in this episode is how you wanted to, you know, go about locating some of these different core areas potentially on the property and trying to figure out some of these bucks. So, what was some of the progression like, especially over the summertime? of you know running trail cameras and trying to locate some of these different bucks that you may have on the property to then get a game plan together for this fall uh this started out i mean i marked several locations on aerial maps and just walked in there and was looking at them and i ran trail cameras and ran i think it was like the third spot i finally picked uh this deer started showing up he's actually running the bachelor group with uh an eight pointer him and another little 10 i think they're all running together and and it's about it's the third it was the third uh spot that I put the trail camera out and I finally picked them up and they would come in every once in a while and sometimes it would be before it got dark, sometimes it was after it got dark. I mean they'd come in pretty regular and it was I would actually noticed after it seemed like I put the corn out and it seemed like that night they would come out and come out in front of my trail camera. I'm like, Man, are these are they like waiting on me to put the corn out or something? I'm like, if there's if they're this stupid when deer season comes in, I'm going to get somebody to walk in with me and put the corn out, and I'm going to climb up the tree and get them to leave, and they're going to think I left, and I'm going to be sitting there waiting on them. But uh, they changed that whenever the bass group broke up. But they were still in the area. I just, uh, whenever I went in there to hunt that afternoon, I hadn't actually seen them in like two weeks, but uh, they sh- he showed up that afternoon. Well, let's talk a little bit more about kind of the spot. So one thing you mentioned early on was our – I guess one thing you mentioned just now while uh, talking about the setups and everything was how you made some, you dropped some pins on the map of areas that you wanted to kind of go and look at. What was so particular about the, what you pit pins on, you know, was it just diversity? Was it just, I mean, kind of what caught your attention looking at the map, especially from, I know some of the things that Josh Driver has talked about with diversity and kind of locating those bucks core areas. Oh yeah. It was mainly just diversity. That's what I want. I mean, it's easy to see where the, the property lines come together and I just dropped pins on there and just wanted to go find out what it looked like in there. And whenever I went into several spots, I saw old rubs and 
whatnot from years past. And it looked like they've been rubbing them for three or four years in a row. So I just put a camera out and some corn and see if anything's in there. And before I struck out on the first spot and the second spot and the third spot, I finally started picking these bucks up. So I knew I had to be close to where they were hanging out anyways, just summer. And But it was all diversities the way I found them. I just looked at on the aerial maps and found where all the property lines came together and and it's, that's the way I did it. I mean, it, it was pretty easy to find the diversity. It's just, it depends on if there's a buck there or not. Yeah, and can you give the listeners an example? Like what, when you talk about diversity, you know, some people might, you know, understand, okay, you know, having different habitat edges coming together. But in this area, like what's the diversity like? Like what are we dealing with in this area, some of the different types of diversity, you know, at these some of these different points? Uh, well, one side of our property has like two different pines that come together and then our property's planted pine as well and then you got hardwoods on this other guy's property and then on the other side of the property we have our place and then there's planted pines over there and then there's a this a grown-up thicket that they cut and they never planted anything so it's privet hedge and everything else in it so you just look for i try to find at least three different uh types of terrain or types of Type, there's three different types of land that come together that have three different types of like pines, like age groups of pines or oaks or something that come together, and that's where I kind of start looking to see if there's any sign in the area. Perfect. Awesome. Well, let's kind of jump back a little bit more towards the hunt. So, you know, you ran trail cameras over the summertime, uh, you know, located some bucks, located some of these deer, and then come season, you know, the pattern shift a little bit. And you were kind of walking us into like that afternoon of the hunt. You actually killed the buck on. You know what had changed? You said you like you hadn't seen them in about two weeks or so. You know what do you think had changed in that time period before you actually killed him that afternoon? I'm not sure. I mean, they probably just you know batch of groups they break up right before season. Usually they do that in Georgia, anyways. But before season, it was. I mean, I found those deer probably in July. And for two or three weeks, I mean, I wouldn't put corn out, but like every two weeks, I mean, I didn't want to go in there and bust it up and run the deer out of there or anything. So I didn't go in there much. I put corn out about two weeks, every two weeks. And when I would go in there, it seemed like every single night that I would put the corn out right before dark, they would come in there. I'm like, man, I think these deer, like, I'm so close to where they're bedding at, they hear me come in there and know I'm putting corn out. So they come up here eat corn i'm like if they're still doing this some season comes in and that dumb i'm gonna get my dad or somebody to walk in there with me and we're gonna put corn out and i'm gonna get him to leave and i'm gonna sit there and hunt and kill one of these deer but they changed that about two weeks before season come in i i didn't see him really hardly much especially that 10 pointer. i really didn't see him for two weeks and then that eight pointer he would come in every once in a while and and the, some, I think he, I don't know if he ever came in during the daylight before the last two weeks before season came in. And then I put corn out on a Sunday just to put corn out there. And then on Monday, I finally got the right wind. I needed to go hunt this location. And I went in there that, uh, I figured it was going to be the eight pointer that showed up because he would still come in every once in a while. I figured the 10 had gone somewhere else, you know, after him and the eight had run him off or something and he moved and, like switch to a different area or something and but it was ended up being that 10 pointer that came in that night so let's talk a little bit more about that the 10 pointer and everything that you shot so on this setup kind of like where you're located at and where you shot him at it's an area that you've been kind of putting some bait out putting some corn out having deer you know coming there 
regularly before the season, and then kind of got a little scattered. What was your setup for that spot? Because that's one thing I hear from a lot of guys, you know, when it comes to, you know, killing good deer, you know, uh, around corner or anything like that. Sometimes it can be challenging uh, just because some of those big mature bucks really kind of catch on pretty quickly that, hey, you know, they're not coming to until, you know, after dark. You know, what was your stand set up like yeah. and everything? Again, position yourself in entrance and exit route uh, based off where you thought he might would be or they might would be coming from so you were able to, you know, get in there clean so they didn't know you were actually present. Well, uh, during the summer, I'd actually found a bed. I think it was it was one of them's bed. I, I was it was kind of off. It come off a creek bottom. There's two fingers that run out in these these pines. They were probably they're probably twenty years old. There's two like little draws that run out into this uh, these pines. And I walked both of those little draws. And on one of the draws, there's a like a bed of rocks laying there and i walked up in there and i found where a deer had been bedding down in there and it looked pretty good size and i figured it was a bug bed and i started looking around and found some old rubs so i figured that's where his core area was and that's how i knew where to put my camera out this summer i ended up finding that and i moved back about 100 yards off of that because i didn't want to be on top of his bed and i put put some corn out just to see if there was anything in there and that's how i found those three deer they must have been bed and that was one of their beds i'm sure they got plenty of them in the area but i just found that one and uh he was on the one uh draw that went up into the pines or whatever and i put the corn kind of on top of the draw or kind of toward more towards the other side of the draw the, they were pretty far apart i mean it was probably 100 yards 120 yards in between where he was bedding at where the corn was and i wanted to set up where I, I mean, the only way I could hunt him was a south or southeast wind. And then I wanted to set up on the edge of the other draw. So when the wind was blowing, it hit me in the face. And then when the the, uh, the wind stopped blowing and my thermals took over, it would kind of pull my scent down in that other draw and take it away from him. And they were always coming to the camera exactly where I found that bed at. So I figured that's where they were staying at. And I went hunting that afternoon and, he actually came in from that exact location where I found that bed at, so I just figured that was uh, that was his core area. I just, he was just not coming into the corn, which I didn't put corn out there much, so he was just, he, that's probably his core area, and he just showed up after dark whenever he came in. But uh, most of the time, he would show up well after dark, but that eight-pointer that was coming in with him was usually before dark, but he just got lucky that night and the ten-pointer come in. Yeah, well, one thing I'm I'm really interested in is that setup. That setup is freaking perfect, dude. Talking about how you were able to set up again, you know, at the head of that other drainage, and you know, had the wind where it'd be in your face, but then when that wind stopped and the thermals took over, they kind of suck your wind, you know, sunk your scent down and away from him down that drainage, dude. That is like awesome setup, dude. Um, and, yeah, and I I thought it when I put the corn out of my camera, I was like. I always looking like if I'm going to hunt here, where do I need to put this at to, for this wind? I mean, I thought about this summer whenever I put, the, I didn't just go out there and throw the, throw the corn out. I threw the corn out in a spot I'm like, all right, there's a tree right here. I'm going to put my camera right here. If he comes in, I found the bed over there. So if they're in here and he comes from that direction, I'll be good to go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so you had a money setup. He came in. Now, what time did he kind of come in? Did he come in after that wind died and the thermal started dropping? You think, or was it a little bit before then? Well, actually, I mean, I mean, a lot of people probably think it's too early, but I'd actually that after the first hunt of the season, I took the horns out there and took my grunt call, and I was just, I wasn't doing like a 
just tearing the horns all to pieces. I was just kind of like rubbing them together because two weeks before that, I had two eight-pointers fighting on my camera for 20 minutes in front of the camera. So I'm like, well, apparently they're messing around a little bit. So I took the horns out there with me, and I think it was probably 6.45 or so. I hit the horns the first time and hit the grunt call, and I put them down. And 10 minutes later, I get this. I don't know if you get it. Every once in a while, you get a feeling like something's looking at you or whatever, and so I, I get this feeling. I, I look over here, like the thermals had took over by this time. The sun went down. Thermals took over, and they were going down that draw. I get this feeling. I look over my right shoulder, and I see. As soon as I look over my right shoulder, I see a ten pointer spin around and take off running. He never blew or anything, but it was just that smaller ten pointer that was uh, been coming into the camera. And I think he just. A lot of times when they you rattle and grunt at them, they'll come in downwind trying to scent check at first, mm-hmm. and uh, he. He came in, I think he scent checked me, and he was just looking in that direction when he saw me move like that. He saw me and spun around and ran off. He never blew or anything. He just took off running. And then I just, I was kind of bummed because I was like, well, I might have scared him off and the other deer off. I don't know. But I waited about 7.15 again. I hit the horns and hit the grunt again. Like 10 minutes later, I see horns coming in front of me where that bed and that core area was. I thought it was a core area, and I see horns coming. I'm like, well, I bet that is an eight-pointer, because an eight-pointer is just as big as a ten-pointer. I mean, I would have shot both of them. Then uh, he gets up there like 30 yards. There's, I mean, it's planted pines that are probably 25, 20, 25 years old and been thin one time, so it's got tons of undergrowth up under it. And if they get past 30 or 40 yards, you can't really see. And he got like 50 or 60 yards and stopped. And I was, couldn't see him anymore. And I sat there for 10 minutes. I was like, dang, he must have left. Like, he must have heard them horns and come up here and try to see what it was and left. And then all of a sudden I see him move up there and he gets about 40, 50, or about 30 yards from me and stops again right behind the corn pile like it's another thicket and i couldn't see him he sat there for another five minutes and i thought he was gone again i thought he just snuck out the back somewhere and i couldn't see him and all of a sudden he steps out in the middle of the corn pile and i was like oh man that's a 10 pointer so he messed around there for a little while and finally gave me a shot and i was able to get a shot off on him but i'm not sure if he was coming into the corn or coming into the horns and the grunt because like i said i hadn't seen that deer in two weeks much less during the daylight and he came in 45 minutes before it ever got dark oh wow yeah dude that's interesting that is interesting and because that was again september i think we we said it was looking at the dates september 13th is when you shot that deer so i mean that was just a couple of days after really yeah. op- opening day for you guys is what like the is it like the eighth or ninth yeah it was that saturday and i work on the weekends so i can't hunt on the weekends but I can hunt during the week, which is really nice because there's nobody else in the woods, or I can just do whatever I want to do, basically. But yeah, it was that Monday after opening weekend. This podcast is supported by Mark's Outdoors. If you're from around Birmingham, you know of a, a staple in the hunting community here, and that would be Mark's Outdoors. They've been in business in the same location for over 40 years, family-owned and operated, and they have a reputation for being one of the best bow shops in the southeast. As we inch closer and closer to deer season, if you haven't already, it's time to dust off that bow and make sure that she's ready to roll for this hunting season. Go stop by Mark's Outdoors and check out their archery counter with Mark and Robbie, two guys I've known for years, excellent bow techs. They've worked on my bow since I started bow hunting. They got all the knowledge and accessories that you need to get ready to rock for this bow season. While you're in there, also make sure you check out their gun counter. They got a ton of nice rifles. 
from everything from AR platforms to nice deer rifles and a bunch of nice shotguns as well. They also have one of the best knife selections in Alabama. I mean, really nice stuff. All kinds of custom knives in there, and their ammo selection is just unbeatable as well. We're thrilled to have Marks Outdoors on board, and we thank them for supporting the podcast. Now we're going to ask you guys to go support them. Cruiser Saddles is the newest addition to companies supporting this podcast. Cruiser is the maker of saddles and saddle hunting gear. Uh, me and Jacob actually met Chad, the owner, at our Bozen Brews event in March of 2020. We were demoing a lot of different saddles there from a lot of different companies, and he showed up with his products, which were brand new at the time, and everybody there was extremely impressed with them, including me and Jacob. We ended up getting some of his saddles for this past hunting season and used them all year from, basically, we started hunting in August and hunted until February. No complaints. Really liked him. The durability was there. The comfort was there. The wearability was there, you know, walking in and out to the stand. So we're very impressed. You can go back to some of the episodes from last year and actually hear us, you know, live through the season talking about these things. We talked about them a lot in the podcast from last year's season. Just really impressed, and we think you would like them too. So go to their website and check them out. We ran the XC. Orders ship the same day or next day unless otherwise indicated. And you get free shipping on orders over $300. We really appreciate Cruiser for supporting this show. You guys go show them some support as well. Hunting Gear Deals is dedicated to helping the hunting community find the best deals on hunting gear from across the web. Each day they scour the web for deals, sales, and coupon codes on hunting gear to help you save time and money on your next purchase. Head on over to huntinggeardeals.com and join their daily deal email list. Each day you'll receive deals that are emailed to you Uh, from across the country on the best sales and promos that are going on for that day for your favorite hunting equipment. If you're a gear fanatic like us, then be sure to check out their extensive collection of unbiased and honest gear reviews submitted by hunters from across the country just like yourself. Black Friday and Cyber Monday is coming up, so when you're out shopping for yourself or for Christmas gifts, make sure that you check out Hunting Gear Deals for some great finds. Hunting Gear Deals is your number one resource during Black Friday and Cyber Monday for hunting-related deals across the web. During these special sales events, Hunting Gear Deals compiles a huge list of all the best hunting-related deals in one place, saving you time and money. Make sure to go click the link in the show notes to go visit huntinggeardeals.com and see all the great deals they have right now. Yep, open. I guess, I guess open day now. I'm looking at it is the 11th, uh, so that would be that Saturday. But yeah. that's dude, that, that's interesting, especially if you, especially when you didn't really have a pattern on that deer. You were able to, you know, hunt in an area where it was suspected core area that it was that buck or maybe that eight point or whatever else. Uh, but able to, you know, do some rattling and soft grunts. Well, can you can you give us an example like for the listeners? Like what kind of like when you if you were to describe your rattling in grunt sequence, you know, some guys think of rattling, all oh, they're going to do it kind of loud. I mean, did you do like the Tim Knight approach? I mean, how did you kind of do your rattling approach? Cause I'm very curious about that. And also your grunts. Um, no, I wasn't, I'm just not sure what that guy's name was, but he was on your podcast and he, you kind of just like, whenever I first go together with the horns, I hit them kind of hard. Like they came together and then I just kind of like grind them for a minute or two. And then I just kind of pull them apart real fast. Like, I mean, cause most time, unless it's a serious fight, they're not just sitting there banging around and plus early season, they're not going to do that. Usually they're just messing around. Like they're not fighting real hard. So I just hit them real hard the first, like when I first bring them together and then I kind of just grind them together and, I mean, that's the way I do it. I mean, I don't know if that's the right way to do it or not, but it, it seems to be working for me. Yeah, because 
Now, I can't remember that guy that does that, but he's from Alabama, and I want to say he hunts. I'm not sure what that guy's last name was. He was on one of your episodes. I listened to it not too long ago. I'm, I'm wondering if it's Adrian Farley. Um, Adrian's one yeah, of, it was him. Yeah, Adrian's one of the only guys I know I in Alabama. Yeah, he was the only one of the guys I've ever talked to in Alabama that actually has, I mean, pretty good success calling in bucks, rattling. Um and yeah, he's uh, yeah, it's a lot of grinding motion, you know, kind of a, a bang and then grind, grinding motion for that more subtle, subtle sounds. Because um, yeah, if you, I mean, unless you've like really, pretty much all the deer I've ever seen fight, and then also video wise, I mean, you don't hear. It's not like they're just clanging and banging the whole time. Uh, there's a lot of pushing, a lot of ground noise and disturbance. And uh, I know that's yeah, what you Tim, hear more trees and leaf noise than anything. Yep, that's what Tim Knight. Uh, I know Tim Knight talks about that because he likes to do the whole, um, you know, tie his antlers together. You know, he's got them on like, a, you know, a couple, like two feet, three feet of paracord. And then he'll tie um, his bow pull-up rope to that paracord that the antlers are hanging on. So they're hanging next to each other. He'll lower them down to the ground and start kind of, you know, jiggling down on the ground. So it has the ground noise and, you know, some of that antlers kind of hitting together. And it, it looks goofy, but I've had a lot of people, actually, we had some listener success stories last year. Uh, that talked about doing that and having success, uh, that kind of calling. So uh, there's a bunch of different ways about doing that, and we're actually about to have another episode with uh, Richard Fock coming up about his calling sequence because he has a lot of a lot of success as well, uh, calling, rattling, and grunting as well. It's, and it's different from what a lot of other people do. Um, so yeah, I, I haven't tried Tim Knight. So I, that's where I got the idea from Tim Knight, but I haven't got the idea yet of like hanging them out of the tree. I would like to come up with some way to get some ground noise, like. Like he does, because I mean, like I said, most of the time you hear more trees banging and leaves getting rustled around than anything. You hear horns kind of grinding, but most of the time it's trees getting pushed over and leaves getting rustled whenever deer are fighting more than anything. Yeah, I thought I thought more and more about, and you know, it depends on how you know in depth someone wanted to go, but have some kind of uh, you know nylon, black nylon line, like some kite string or something. You don't want to use fishing line because it'd have a glare, but uh, you know, tie down to, you know, whether it's, you know, um, you know, a bigger branch or something down below, like close to the ground level that you can kind of shake a little bit or something um, while, yeah. you know, calling. I mean, just, just different things like that. Like you say, because, you know, a, a deer is not just sitting there standing still hitting antlers together. I mean, they're pushing on the ground. They're making a lot more noise, ground disturbance. And uh, the, the guys I've always talked to that can somehow replicate that with their calling sequence always seem to have, like, some of the best calling results. Um is if you can like add that ground noise. And I think one thing that uh, Adrian does a little bit different, you know, when he calls, he's calling in like super thick stuff. I mean, he's climbing a pine tree up above some like, you know, privet, just real thick and nasty stuff on the ground. So like the buck has to come in pretty freaking close before he can even see like his tree where that sound's coming from. Um, and that's one reason why he has a ton of success is like that buck, if he wants to know what's happening, if he's going to circle downwind, he's going to have to get pretty close also to be able to see whatever's making that noise too. So, uh, that, that's super interesting. But again, dude, I mean, you had success. I mean, just kind of working with some antlers and everything in, in September. And again, you know, whether or not he truly came in, you know, 45 minutes before daylight after not having any daylight photos of him in that area, uh, you know, 15 minutes after calling, I don't know. But, uh, I mean, it's definitely is a, there's a, I guess enough to say that there could be a correlation between the two of it, of that being the case. Yeah, that's kind of why, I mean, when he came up to the corn pile, I mean, he sat there and he was just looking around for, I mean, he sat there for 15 or 20 minutes before he ever came up there. That's why I was thinking, he's like, okay, where are these two bucks at that I thought were up here? I mean, I don't know, but that's just what it seemed like to me. 
Awesome. Well, so you shoot the deer and everything. How was the recovery? I mean, was it a pretty easy recovery, or was there any uh, craziness to that aspect to you? Uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. I mean, he's, he he uh, sat there in the corn for so long. I had to take a shot that you normally wouldn't want to try to take, and I shot him, and uh, he was kind of like, he finally stepped out and gave me a shot that was kind of quartering to me, and I tried. He had his head down, and I was trying to put it in between the front shoulder and make it come out behind us, uh, the other shoulder on the other side, and I clipped his spine. Whenever I did that, when it went in, because I mean it was eight o'clock, and I'm like five more minutes, I'm not getting another shot at this deer. Like I sat there and watched him for thirty minutes before I finally decided to take this shot, which I normally wouldn't take, and he dropped right where he was at, but it. I finally had to get another shot at him out of the tree and uh, finish him on off. But uh, it's not a shot I would normally take, but it was just one of those things. Like, I've sat here and watched this deer for 30 minutes, and I'm liable to never see him again. So I'm going to go ahead and take it. Yep, absolutely. Well, uh, it's good you're able to you know, recover him. It doesn't sound like much of a tracking job, which is, you know, hey. No, he was right there, <laughs> right, right where I shot him at. So it wasn't much tracking to it, but. Well, awesome. Well, again, I got to say congratulations on that buck, dude. It's a great buck. It's a, it's a really nice deer. I mean, definitely, dude, it's going to be hard to top the one you killed last year, but uh, I guess you get one more tag in your pocket for at least state tag. Um, so, you know, if you can get back out there and make it happen, you got a lot of season left ahead of you. Yeah, I'm, I got some on camera that are pretty close to that one I killed last year. I just got to get them. I don't know. I, one of them's actually over there on a, on a public land. Hey, the biggest deer I got on camera this year is on public land. Well, so I guess I guess I know what you might be doing for the rest of your season. <laughs> I'll be going after old public land giant. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Uh, well, let me ask. Uh, well, this, actually, uh, well, yeah. What were you saying? Uh, I was going to say that I killed that deer on the Monday, and then the next week on a Thursday afternoon, I went after that deer that I was telling you I had on camera that's bigger than all. That he's probably. He's probably in the 140s. He's a looks like a 11 point with a bunch of kickers on him. He's over there on public land, and I busted him out of his uh, core area trying to get in on him. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I didn't blow him out and I get another shot at him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, I mean, early enough in the season, you never know what could happen. Uh, so, you know, hopefully you get back on. That's awesome. I think one thing that you've come to realize pretty quickly is just you know, based off reading those maps and everything, how to find and locate those bucks' core areas after you get a little bit of, you know, trail cam data on them, uh, which is something super interesting. I mean, let me ask this before we kind of wrap this up. Was that something that you previously you had, like, success with in the past? Again, kind of finding that stuff, or was that some something you kind of clicked with you after you kind of heard some of those different shows where the guys are really talking about that? No, it clicked with me when I started listening to these other guys. In the past, when I hunted, I would, like, find these pretty hardwood bottoms with white oats dropping everywhere and all this stuff. And I just, like, yeah, this is a good spot to need to hunt or whatever. And then I listened to Glenn Solomon. He said, whenever you come up on a spot like that, you need to turn around and look behind you because that's probably where the big deer are going to be back there in the thick stuff behind those hardwood bottoms. And then I started listening to Josh Driver, and he's got talking about diversity, and that's when I started picking out diversity on the aerial maps and uh, started running my trail cameras there. If I saw any sign where those uh, different terrain and different property lines came together. Absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, that diversity there is just huge. And again, keying on that, uh, I think for any Southern listener, uh, it is going to be huge for you. Um, 
But, Luke, let me ask you this. Uh, do you have any kind of final thoughts or anything else you want to leave with the listeners? Uh, whether it's, you know, a newer listener, maybe this is the, you know, second or third episode they've ever heard, or if it's someone that's been listening for a long time, any kind of final tips or, or things you want to leave them, especially in regards to some of those different episodes? Yeah, I mean, just look on your area maps for diversity, and uh, even though you find it on a map, you need to still go put boots on the ground because there's no telling how many times I put a pen out there on the ground. I walked out there, and this place looks terrible. I just left. I mean, you, you, nothing better than going to walk out there and look and see what you actually marked on the map. Absolutely perfect. Well, Luke, uh, again, congratulations on an awesome buck. Uh, again, shout out to all the other listeners out there. You know, if you are like Luke and have success using tips and tactics from the podcast, um, you can shoot us a message. Kind of like, well, Luke, I mean, you shoot me a, a text message, but uh, if you don't have our cell phone numbers, you can shoot us a message on Facebook or Instagram or through our email uh, at info at the southern outdoorsman.com. And let us know kind of what uh, episodes kind of were impactful for you. Send us some photos over, and maybe we'll select you for a future episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Listener Success Story. Luke, thank you again for coming on. Best luck to you for the rest of the season. All right, you too, man. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern. Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool. I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right. Giving you a heads up here. So go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the the, like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.